And thanks for everything, Romy. Yeah. And welcome. Uh, welcome to our two days, really a two-day non-residential retreat. So we have a lot of the pluses of a retreat with, in, in a way, less cost. And also, you get to uh, try out how you're doing when you go home. <laughs> You know, or, or get into traffic, okay? We'll, we'll discuss that. You know, how do I, you know, because the, the aspiration of loving kindness is to bring at least the intention of the kind heart, the kind and wise heart, to every moment, including difficult ones, including ones where irritation arises, some of that's advanced practice. We won't get to that till tomorrow. So I'll, I'll say a little bit about my own background. You know, I've met uh, a number of you, but a lot of, you know, most of you I haven't met. And so I'm pleased to uh, meet you and to you know, get to know more about you and, uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, in offering this retreat, we're really keeping a tradition going. That started, I think, at least six or seven years ago. Uh, Sylvia Borstein and I, who regularly teach the January uh, loving-kindness retreat, wanted to offer a shorter retreat to people. And at that time, this hall was not built. In fact, this, for many of you know, just opened last June. And so there were almost no non-residential retreats. And we started offering loving kindness, I think, every spring. And it seemed we were, it was an experiment, but it seemed to really meet a need. Now, now we have more choices. You could do a non residential retreat on the weekend. Uh, but at that time, one couldn't. And so we offered it on Mondays and Tuesdays. And we had quite a, a good response. And so we've been doing it every year. This is the first year that uh, I'm doing it. I, for the last five years or so, I did it with Heather Sunberg. The first year I'm doing it on my own, but it's really uh, all the non-residential retreats are chances to get uh, pretty full training. In fact, you'll get almost, the, I think, pretty much the same training that we give in the seven-day loving-kindness retreat. You'll get all the instructions. And so you really can uh, take it home, keep it going, uh, I'll give some emphasis during the two days to bringing the practice into daily life and a lot of focus on that the last part of uh, tomorrow. So we'll, but I'll, I'll give comments um, mm, as, we go, as we go through the two days. Um, so a little bit about my background. Uh, one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock um, loving-kindness practice has been really important to me for a long time. I've been practicing about 40 years. And so it's been really uh, central to my life for a long time. And uh, I've been very interested in going more deeply into intensive practice at times. One of my interests, in fact, just I've just come a a few weeks ago from, from being four weeks here on retreat. And so I still feel the energy of those uh, four weeks. And have also studied in the uh, Tibetan tradition quite a bit, Dzogchen and Mahamudra. Some of you may have explored those. Uh, 
and have a, I think, a, a broad vision of multiple traditions that I've learned from. You know, so I, I lived uh, for four years in Kentucky and, act, and actually uh, go back to teach there every year. And I spent a lot of time at the uh, Abbey of Gethsemane, the monastery where Thomas Merton was a monk. You know, some of you know that. So have been influenced by Christian contemplative practice quite a bit. And also uh, have been influenced by Jewish mysticism. Uh, lived once for a year in what we called a neo-Hasidic commune. <laughs> and had a lot of fun. I won't, I won't say much more about that, but I've been influenced by that tradition and also quite influenced by indigenous traditions. Uh, for a lot of years, I co-led a sweat lodge that we did with a native elder named Fred Wapapaw. Some of you, anyone go to those? Yeah. And so... Uh, that's been important. have friends who've taken me into their indigenous communities in both in the U.S. and in Canada, which has been important. So have a, a broad sense of traditions. And also one of my mentors, I'll just mention this, this came to mind. One of my mentors was, was a beautiful man who died just last, Jan, last December at the age of 97, named Houston Smith. Some of any, anyone know of his life? Yeah, he was. There was a PBS program with Bill Moyers, and Houston was one of my mentors. And Houston was really uh, a person who thought that uh, actually, at their depths, all traditions are saying something quite similar. And that's part of my perspective for loving kindness practice. I think we can find, you know, the you know in. Uh, Many traditions, something like a notion of unconditional love or the emphasis on love, which is in the territory of metta, not exactly the same, but it's very similar. We find that in different traditions, uh, you know, um, across the spectrum. And, and so I think there's something very similar. But what's unique about the Buddhist tradition and the cultivation of metta is that as far as I know, there's not the same kind of methodical practice to develop metta uh, in other traditions. Of course, there are practices that are very beautiful that can develop the heart. But uh, over the years, we've actually had, you know, uh, Catholic nuns and Jewish rabbis come here to study the practice of loving kindness as a, as a discipline. So there's something I've, I've been told, and I've co-led at times uh, retreats with... Uh, Christian contemplative friends where we've looked at both both traditions and but there's something unique about the method of loving kindness uh, I've, I've been told by people in other traditions so I've been interested in uh, retreat practice and formal practice but I've also been very interested in bringing the uh, these practices in contact with what works in daily life in this culture. And so one of the areas that's been important for me is the intersection of psychology and meditation. And in particular, I've focused quite a bit, you know, as you could, might tell from the uh, teaching that's upcoming, on the theme of working with a judgmental mind. Does anyone still have that occasionally? <laughs> Either towards oneself or towards others or maybe towards politicians. <laughs> Heaven forbid. 
you know. Um, and that's been a, that's been an area. It's very related. I'll bring that. I'll I'll share some of that later in the morning because it's very connected with loving kindness practice. You know, to some extent, one has to know ways of working through what stands in the way of loving kindness or love or whatever whatever language we use. So that's been important, and, and have a also a very strong interest in connecting metta practice with daily life. How to make that real in daily life. And then a third area which has been important to me is connecting our inner practices with the world, with social issues and with our engagement in the world. So for a lot of years I've been involved with training programs for people who are engaged in the world, how to bring the inner practices in connection with engagement in the world. You know, and that can also go in a, in a lot of different directions. But that's been important to me. And, and of course, for many people, you know, things are accelerating in the, uh, and intensifying in the social world. And so bringing of metta, loving-kindness, empathy to the social world is really, really crucial. So we'll you know, maybe bring in those comments from time to time. And, and later, probably later in the retreat, I'll... I'll I'll leave out, I, I did a really a training book called The Engaged Spiritual Life, which I'll leave out. You can take a look at and if you want to, can buy that, which is sort of a manual on connecting inner work with engagement in the world. And teaching metta has been one of my joys for a lot of years. I think I've been involved with our one-week January loving-kindness retreat for 13 or 14 years. And Sylvia Borstein, who many of you know, was my mentor for Metta. We sometimes jokingly speak of her as a Metta machine. (laughs) I don't know if that's... Maybe we can reframe that metaphor. I don't know if I'd like to be called a machine. (laughs) But but it it points to the way that there's a lot of Metta. That's very positive. Okay. And so, uh, you know, teaching Metta and sharing it has been, been very crucial for me. What we'll do in our two days is to really have something very much like the conditions of a retreat. I'll give a little more introduction near the beginning, sort of front-loading, to give an overview of metta and give the basic instructions uh, just in a few moments. And then we'll start. Then we'll be practicing, and we'll have most of the time be silent through the end of tomorrow. The rhythm of the days will be something like this. And I have posted a schedule. There's one on the back door. Pretty simple schedule. How many of you have done residential retreats before? Okay. So a lot of you. And how many of you are new to... For how many of you is this your... Even this, your, your longest retreat? Okay. Good. And how many of you have received the uh, full instructions for metta practice? Okay, and how many of you have not? Okay, so that, that's helpful for me to know. The, the rhythm will be something like this. We'll have two segments every morning and two segments every afternoon. And the segments will uh, typically be uh, sitting, sometimes some teaching. Then there'll be a walking period and then we'll come back for a second segment, like, like this morning. I'll give an overview about metta practice, 
give the basic instructions, then we'll have a walking period, and then we'll come back for a sitting period uh, that will lead us up to lunch. There'll be uh, a, long, a longer sitting period with a little bit of time right before lunch for any questions that you might have, a little bit of discussion. Then we'll have lunch, which I'm suggesting we have in silence, very much like a retreat. And I'll give some instructions for that. It'll be a full hour, be about 12.30. And um, I should just say that during the walking periods, that's a natural time to use the bathroom. There'll be about half an hour. And if you need to use the bathroom otherwise, um, you can just get up and use the bathroom. There are two bathrooms on this floor and I think two on the first floor. So, but there'll be the, the walking periods, which is when most people could use the bathroom. But again, um, use it if you need to. Uh, and then in the afternoon, so we have a full hour for lunch. Then we'll come back uh, about 1.30, and then we'll have a similar sequence. We'll have, uh, actually this time we'll have, a, we'll have a sitting, and then there'll be a period of movement or walking, optional. I'll teach some qigong, and it, but one can also go outside and walk. And then we'll come back, do another sitting, then we'll do another walking period, and then we'll come back for a little bit of sitting, teaching, and discussion that will close our day. And tomorrow will be pretty similar. Uh, but, but we'll go right into the practice uh, tomorrow morning. We'll, you know, so I won't the... Um, I'll give some short talks, I think, uh, shortly before lunch tomorrow and then towards the end of the day. That'll be the rhythm. So there'll be a nice period of mostly silence most of the day, particularly tomorrow. And how many people are here for both days? Okay. Is there anyone who is just for one day? Okay, that's good Good to know. Okay. And everyone should have the sheet that has the instructions, particularly if you're newer. Does anyone not have that sheet? Uh, you can get one. Should be one. I guess we have extras on some of the seats, so why don't we... Okay. Any, anyone still need one? Raise your hand. Okay. And there's, uh, is there one right on that seat there that's available? We have some outside, don't we, still? Uh, do it, you can do it during the walking period. Okay. Does anyone not have a copy? Anyone not have a copy? Okay, we'll make some more. Why don't I give? Why don't I give my copy out? Huh? Does anyone need one? Okay, good. Just in case I forget. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's something, again, very beautiful about a retreat. And so my encouragement, I'll say about, talk about this at the end of the day, my encouragement will be to take this evening very much in the flow of the retreat. In other words, have it be connected with the cultivation of metta, keep things to the extent that it's within your control, simple. Maybe, you know, meditate a little bit more and so forth. Talk more about that. There's something very powerful about going 
more inwardly. And there's a nice passage from, this is from John Tarrant, who's from, I think from Tasmania in, you know, part of Australia. He says, the ancient basis of spiritual practice is always stillness and silence. We may sit under a tree, cross-legged in a quiet room, or by the fire. The important thing is that we turn towards an intense inwardness. There, silence comes to us out of the dawn of the world. From the earliest band gathered on the sandstone cliffs looking for the sun to rise. From the hunter waiting in the spinifex grass. We sit at the water hall at dawn. The beasts arrive and drink and leave, and yet we remain. Thoughts, memories, sorrows, excitements, they rise and have their time and fall away. We seek deeper, we sink deeper into the silence until it becomes its own desire and fulfillment. So we're doing that. We're engaged in that looking within and doing so with the intention to cultivate kindness. You know, actually, uh, Houston Smith, who I mentioned, he told, he told a story of talking with Aldous Huxley, the famous uh, novelist and sort of spiritual explorer, who I think died in 1963, near the end of his life. And uh, he, he told Houston... You know, it's embarrassing after all these years. I'm asked so often about the most profound questions. My answer is, try to be a little kinder. So our metta practice is about cultivating kindness. It's about cultivating warmth. The basic, uh, why don't we just leave these here in case some other people come. And so the understanding really behind loving-kindness practice is that our deeper nature is kindness. That at our depths, there is kindness, there is love, there is wisdom. And that gets opened up as we practice more. And that what covers over our kindness, which could be our irritation, our, sometimes our confusion, our, maybe our self-centeredness at times, maybe our difficult past, that all of these things are more superficial. That's the understanding. It's like there's a deep quality of our being, which is kindness. In the ancient text, in Buddhist tradition, this is talked about as the luminous quality of mind and heart. That's there for everyone, including people who have done unskillful things. That it's there, but it gets covered over. And so a lot of what we do in the practice is we access that luminous quality more and more. We go towards it. We touch it at times. And guess what? we also touch what gets in the way. Okay? It's a little bit of a caveat for, we don't always put this in the advertisements at Spirit Rock, but we, you know, there's, there's usually this dual aspect of going into metta. 
partly we really touch more and more the beautiful, the wonderful qualities, but we also touch that which gets in the way. And so we sometimes talk, and I'll say more about this uh, later, we sometimes talk about metta practice as a kind of a purification practice. You know, when we do retreats, people's dreams are way more wild than at other kinds of retreats for some reason. You know, and so if you have something a little bit wild tonight, it's normal. You know, I've sometimes had people come at retreats in the morning and say, you know, you know, they're they're troubled. They're, Last night I was an axe murderer. Is this my true nature? <laughs> you say, oh, no, normal. <laughs> normal, you know, we have a lot of axe murderers here. So there is that quality of purification. Ultimately, the aim of this practice is to have more and more access to the kind heart, and so it can be there more and more of our moments more and more of our hours, more and more of our days. It's very simple in that way. And because we work through the difficult territory with loving kindness, in a sense we clear away what stands in the way of the kind heart. And of course we do that in other ways in our lives, not obviously not just with metta. You know, we do that in, could be in our relationships, in our, maybe in psychological explorations, and so forth. You know, in all the parts of our lives, it's, it's possible to really work through that. And so we get to the point where we're able, and this is really the core of the entire Buddhist teaching in my way, a very simple way to say it is, we learn how to be responsive rather than reactive. And that responsiveness involves the kind heart and involves our wisdom. And that's really it, that we, we learn how to be responsive rather than reactive. We learn how to bring the kind heart increasingly to all situations. And metta practice is interesting because it's a training, but it's a graduated training. It's a developmental training that we start out where the loving kindness is most accessible where it's easier for us to feel that sense of warmth or kindness or love, loving kindness. We start out there in the training. You'll see with the instructions in a little while that the first focus of our loving kindness is on where it flows the most easily for each of us. Not always the same. Traditionally, the focus was on oneself, you know, 25, 2600 years ago, they said the easiest person to feel love for is oneself. The Buddha was unacquainted with the 21st century, <laughs> you know, and the, the challenges of self judgment and so forth, which is pretty thick in this culture for all sorts of reasons, right? And, um, and so, for some people, the loving kindness can flow well towards self, and for others, we find someone else, like uh, you know, the two figures that we use that are from the tradition are one called the benefactor, and this, this, is, this relates to the handout where I give the sequence, you know, right in the middle of that page, that the benefactor is someone who is basically good in our lives. It could be a mentor, 
a teacher, maybe a grandparent, uh, typically someone alive. Uh, it could be a pet. It could be someone who is a force for good in our lives. And it even doesn't have to be a human being. It could be that beautiful tree that's really important for you. That's just a total force for good. And you can have loving kindness for the tree. You know, and it will reciprocate, most likely. <laughs> I was joking. Um, and so we, we may start there with the benefactor, or we may start with the third category, which is called the dear friend. Typically more of a peer, and someone that we feel kindness towards. We typically say not a complex relationship. In other words, not someone, well, I really feel a lot of warmth and kindness, but I also, we, we get into it, you know. Typically not that kind of relationship. Someone towards whom it's just entirely goodwill and not complex in that sense. That's our general, general guidance. So we start there, and then we'll, and we'll, that'll be pretty much the territory that we cover today. And then tomorrow, we go beyond, as it were, the boundary of the familiar, and the boundary where the metta flo- flows well, and we go towards where it's more difficult. And here, there are three categories, First is the so-called neutral person, someone whom we more or less feel indifferent towards. And then we come to the so-called difficult person. And we don't choose the most difficult, we choose someone who's moderately difficult. Many of us may have come here with the hopes to really work out that difficult relationship and everything we do here will help, but we won't necessarily focus on the level 10, on a scale of 10. So I'm sorry to disappoint some of you. We have, we have people who come to our meta retreats entirely with the motive of working out some of the relationships. And so, uh, but we'll get a taste of it. And so that is part of the picture, that one can bring the kind heart, a sense of warmth, kindness, and empathy, towards people with whom we have difficulties. So you can really see the vision. The vision is that of having loving kindness be there for all situations. And the last category is all beings, that we bring that large horizon to have a sense of offering kindness to people way beyond our familiar realm. Again, we can do this in a variety of ways. We could do this, for example, on public transportation, or just in a public space, um, you can do this. You know, you can do this even at lunch, just offering kindness to this person and this person and this person, and just see what that's like. Now, we'll in a moment we'll work through. We'll look at the instructions. The main way that we've learned uh, to practice loving kindness is through phrases. Is through the internal silent repetition. Of phrases. Now, this is a method which has come to us from the fifth century, and we don't actually know what the method of the Buddha was, how uh, loving kindness practice was actually developed. Some think that it was done more, and you can see you can see in the text that we have the main meta text on the other side of the handout that we were looking at. You don't have to look at it now, but you'll see that there are passages where it talks about radiating metta from the heart. 
you know, into the world in, in all directions. And some think that the way that metta practice was actually done by the Buddha was more of that body practice, the somatic or energetic practice where you locate the kindness in your heart and you radiate it out. And we'll work with that, I think, later in the day. But the, I want to, the main method that we'll work with is the repetition of phrases. And as one does both of these, sometimes they can, they can actually merge quite beautifully. So we'll work with the repetition of, of phrases. Um, that in which we uh, choose typically four phrases that for us tend to invoke a sense of warmth or goodwill or kindness. You know, and so you can see on the uh, handout, if you're, if you're newer to metta, that the, there are traditional phrases and there, there are variants and there's actually a lot of flexibility allowed uh, or, uh, or suggested with these, with these phrases. So we might basically silently say to ourselves uh, the first phrase and then the second phrase, then third phrase and fourth phrase, and then go back to the first. Typically, we suggest something like four because they express different nuances of wishing well. Traditionally, there was one phrase which was more about general happiness. May you or may I be well, be happy. There was a second related to health. May you be healthy or may you be as healthy as possible. There was a third uh, related to safety. May you be safe or may I be safe. May I be free from harm. And a fourth which was uh, usually phrased, may there be ease of well-being. Basically, may there be ease in one's life. Not so much, may my life be totally a piece of cake, easy in that sense, but more like, may I have ease no matter what occurs. May I have that responsiveness, that, that uh, ability to uh, find my wisdom, my, my good heart. And so we use uh, phrases like that. If you want to work with the traditional ones, you could say something like, may I be happy, for your first phrase. And again, there's sample phrases there. Some of them, some people like to do a little shorter phrases, some a little bit longer. And there are a lot of possibilities. Uh, one might say, may I be happy, you know, and then we would typically let there be a pause, may I be safe, may I be healthy or as healthy as possible. May I have ease of well-being. Those are the traditional phrases. Those come from at least 1,500 years. Now, we can use other phrases if they speak to us. For example, I'll just share my phrases, which I think if you listen to them, you'll hear that two are a little more traditional and two are ones that at a certain point really spoke to me. They occurred to me. They made something light up. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for phrases that sort of Light up. So those of you who are newer, there's room for a little bit of experimenting today. That's fine. So my phrases are, um, may, um, let's see, may I be held by love. How's that sound? (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) May I be safe and free from harm. May my body support my practice. May my body support my practice. And may... 
um, may I rest in the awakened heart. These are not copyrighted. You can, if one of those resonates with you, feel free to use it. So, may I be held by love. May I be safe and free from harm. May my body support my practice. May I rest in the awakened heart. Yeah, some, yeah, and, and though the, the first and last are the ones that I more or less made up. And you can make yours up. It could be, may I be, may I be kind. May I be wise. You don't have to use the words, may I. For some people, these remind you of religious training, <laughs> perhaps. Um, you can really use the language in a way that works for you. Some people just like to say the one word, happy, and let it resonate. And so a lot of freedom to choose words that work. If you could say, may I be wise, may I be uh, accepting of myself, for example. That, that's a beautiful metaphrase. And generally, we want to choose phrases which are general enough so that they can work for others. There's, as, we, as we'll see, it's very helpful to choose the same phrases because at a certain point, you don't have to think about them. So if we were changing phrases when we got to the benefactor or the friend, there'd be a little more thinking involved. And so helpful to find ones that are general enough. And if you, so if you choose something like, may I accept myself as I am, and that works for you, feel free to give that to the other person, if you, even if the person doesn't have self-acceptance issues. <laughs> That's okay. doesn't have to fit perfectly. Okay? And so we uh, choose the language, find a way that it can work. And the basic method is that we... I'll, I'll give an optional uh, method that I find quite helpful. One of the challenges of the metta practice using the words is that because it's verbal, there can be a tendency that it becomes more dry and even a little conceptual. And so aspects of practice that bring in the body and that bring in the emotions are quite helpful in metta practice. And so one method that I've used and and sort of developed over the years, I think I learned some of the aspects first from my colleague, uh, Guy Armstrong, some of you may know who's also a teacher here, is, is a four-part method that you use with each phrase. And it goes like this. First, have an image of the person. And so if I'm doing it towards myself, I might have an image of myself. And you know, if it works for you to have an image of yourself that maybe really tends to bring out your kindness. For some of us, it could be having an image of oneself as a child, even. You know, if you, if you don't have problems bringing kindness to yourself as an adult, have an, just have an, maybe an image of when you're shining, when you're really, things are opening up in your heart and your mind, okay? Uh, so we have an image, and then we would also have an image of the benefactor, her friend. So first have the image, And then, if you can, um, feel the heart area. And even sometimes it's possible to keep the hand on the heart. And this helps there be a little bit more connection with the body. 
and with the emotions. The image also helps with the emotions. Then the third step would be saying the phrase. And the fourth step is letting there be a little bit of a pause or an echo, maybe two or three seconds, where we just let whatever occurs after we say the phrase, be there. This is sometimes where we have the purification process occurring. We might say, may I be happy. And you say, you have the image, I feel the heart, may I be happy. And then you notice yourself being sarcastic. Sure thing, kid. (laughs) You just notice that, then you go on. You don't have to tell it to shut up or anything. So you just notice that, but then sometimes... You know, and sometimes the echo goes in beautiful directions as well. And so that, that's, that's a possible method which can bring, tend to bring a little more of the heart and the body into the practice, which is very helpful. Okay? And then we, so we would do that method, then we'd go to the second phrase and do the exact same method. So it can be, it's not real quick, right? You don't go phrase to phrase real quickly. You can say, you know, can be, you know, can have an image, feel the heart, Say the phrase, let there be a pause. It can be, you know, the whole thing can take whatever, eight or ten seconds. could be even a little longer. And then we would go to the second phrase, the same method. The third phrase, the same method. The fourth phrase, the same method. And back to the first. So that's what we're going to do for the next two days, okay? (laughs) I don't know if (laughs) you got it. You know, yeah, the loving heart, the kind heart. And then I actually explain the method. And say, oh, oops. <laughs> okay, but it's actually uh, can be quite wonderful and beautiful. It generally, just, just a word, if you're newer to this, it takes a little bit of time if you're newer just to get used to it. So we really require a little bit of effort and patience at the beginning, okay? Really staying with it. And one other word of guidance, and then we'll do the practice for a little while. Uh, one other word of guidance that I think is quite important is that loving-kindness practice is an intention practice. That's really, really crucial. I like to say it's an intention practice and not a production practice. What does that mean? Intention means that through the phrases, we're conveying our intention to bring warmth and kindness to each moment. And that comes, in a sense, out of our wisdom, out of our, you know, the, our, maybe our heart speaking. We have the intention, which is, again, expressed through the phrases. And then we let the phrases do whatever they do. Our work is simply to do the practice, and we let it go wherever it goes. And again, sometimes it'll tend to evoke a sense of warmth or kindness, and sometimes it won't. And our job is not to produce loving kindness, to say, I will now, through my practice, just become full of love. The difference between intention and thinking that I, Donald, need to produce love right now. Got that? That's really crucial, because it means that if you stay with the sincere intention, you're doing it great. That's all you need to worry about. There's a, there's a nice line from one of T.S. Eliot's poems where he says, ours is in the trying, the rest is not our business. Ours is in the trying, the rest is not our business. That's the spirit of the practice. You know, 
And it, it actually really works. You know, we know, you know, I know from working probably with, you know, several thousand people in retreats that when you stay with it, uh, there can be some times of getting used to it, of sometimes working through things here and there, ups and downs. But I'll tell you, uh, uh, the meta retreats are really nice to be around at the end of the retreat. It, it's pretty, it kind of, it works. People stay with it, it works. Okay? Not linear. Okay, got it? Important, important uh, qualification. Okay. And again, it, come, it comes out of wisdom, this intention to have kindness or love. So let's, let's sit now. If you need to, if you've been sitting for a while and you want to just stand up for a few moments, you can do that. But this isn't a break. We'll just start in about another minute or two. Maybe while we're standing, and uh, again, it's possible to sometimes sit in a chair and sometimes uh, sit on the floor on a cushion. That's fine. Let me ask if there's, is there any question about anything I've said, particularly about the, the method of doing metta? Any clarification helpful? So the last part you said... Yeah, yeah, the last part, again, these are optional. Yeah, the fourth is to just let there be a little bit of a pause. We sometimes call it pause or echo or resonance. Just a few seconds, not like this long thing. Okay, just a short period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, generally, again, if, if you can, choose them so that they're, they're not real, real, real specific for you. Okay? And... The, uh, so you want to choose them so they're general enough, so even if they don't fit perfectly for others. Like I said, if you, you, you might be say, wanting to say, may I accept myself, where it might not be a big issue uh, for the benefactor, right? Okay. Um, but uh, really to, uh, yeah, and you can choose, if you're, if you're in doubt, you can choose some of the traditional ones, a little bit like I did. I had two that were more, more general. I mean, I chose mine, for example, because they really spoke to me. But they, they proved to be general enough. Okay. Okay. And for our initial practice, I'll invite you to either choose self or to choose the benefactor. Okay? So just think if you have if you're newer to the practice, think who would be the benefactor. Again, it could be human being, non-human being, someone who is a sort of a really clear force for for good and kindness, warmth in your life. Someone uh, and you think of this being and there's a very easy warmth that comes over. It could be, you know, it could be a child, you know, a niece or nephew, or uh, again, we want someone with whom there tends to be warmth and not a complicated relationship. 
Okay, got the idea? So, see who that would be. And if, you're, if, if self seems to work fine, let's start there. And if, you, if, it, if it feels like there's a little bit of a block or wall, then start with the benefactor. Okay? So we'll just do a short sitting now. An optional technique is to have the hand on the heart. You can do that a little bit or much of the time.
In a moment, I'll give uh, some instructions for walking practice. I wanted to just see if there are any questions uh, that came up. Am I doing it right? Here's what happened. Any questions, just so we have some orientation just right at the beginning. And I guess we can use the, uh, use the mic. You know. Anyone have a question? Just wanting to check what you're doing. Any, am I doing it okay, or this happened? I'm having a little bit of a hard time with may I because I'm, I feel like I'm asking permission. Yeah. And I substituted, I've just been reading East of Eden, and they say, um, thou mayest. And I'm wondering if that has the same meaning. Well, the, the may I is, is really a uh, you know, very loose translation, so there's not so much that's packed into the words. And... The suggestion is really to find the language that, that clicks for you. It's, uh, I, think, I think the may I hear is really doing nothing more than carrying the intention. You know, we could use the same language, I intend for this to occur. I would, you know, uh, uh, I uh, want to move in this direction, something like that. So again, the key is language is very personal. And so to find the language, the, the words that, that work for you, that's really key. And you have a lot of permission to be uh, creative, uh, flexible, and so forth. Please. Um, thank you. Um, I was finding myself uh, switching to other people in that same genre yeah. during the practice. Yeah, gen- generally, generally uh, stay just with the designated person. In, in the training. When, you, when I'll talk about uh, when, when we take this home and we're in, you know, and maybe we're doing 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day, it's a little different. You know, like my daily life practice is I go down a list of about 15 people close to me, you know, one at a time. It's a very nice practice. But here, what we're in a retreat context, what we're trying to do is in part develop uh, further concentration. And that's helped by keeping it really simple. And just stay with one, and uh, you know later we'll we'll be with one for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and switch and so forth. So thanks. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned that the traditional ones were about happiness, health, safety, and ease. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about what the safety part sort of refers to or yeah. is under that umbrella. What, do, what does a safety mean? Uh, I think these are very, just very um, conventional ways of uh, wishing for someone's well-being. You know, so there's, it's not particularly, there's not particularly a spiritual meaning necessarily. It's really very simply saying may, may uh, and I think sometimes the safety is understood in terms of both inner forces as well as outer forces. <laughs> You know, so may you be, uh, may you be, I, mean, I think we, yeah, may you be, may you be safe from inner and outer harms is, is the way s- sometimes it's phrased. So it's basically, you know, may, uh, may you in a sense be free to develop what's most important to you. So it's really, it's really a, a, an expression of what we would want for someone whom we cherish. It's really that, it's that on that level. Yeah. 
Anything else before we do walking practice? Please, yeah. We'll wait. Let's wait for the mic. Um, so I had a really positive experience. However, I have a hard time visualizing. Oh yeah. Faces and. Oh yeah. People. And yeah. Myself, thank you. Really, that was myself that I couldn't really visualize. Yeah. Thank you. So, so a few things here. One of them, for some people, uh, visualizing is not easy, right? And some of us, you know, our memories are more visual. Some of them, they're more somatic. And so, some people find it actually helpful when you're, if you're more somatic, for example, to bring to mind how you feel when you're in the presence of someone. So it could be more somatic, or if there's another way, another sense that seems to work better. That's one way to go. And of course, it's optional, so if, if, if the visualization isn't happening easily, don't worry about it. If you were doing yourself. Yeah, if you're doing yourself. So one way to work with it, you know, when we would actually do practice over, and you could, you could do this at home or uh, tomorrow, you can actually have a picture in front of you, have a photo, and work with a photo. And, you know, again, some, for some people, it actually helps. You know, like some, for some of us, particularly if there are self-judgment issues, we're not so judgmental about ourselves at a younger age. So for some people, that helps. For some people, it would be the opposite, <laughs> right? You know, uh, you know, it would remind us of a, whatever, a difficult childhood or whatever. And we wouldn't want to go there. But for some, so it's, a lot of this is very individual to see what works for you. So you could use a photo if, uh, if that helps the visualization or use another way of, of you know, kind of uh, enforcing or reinforcing that sense of the person, how you feel when the person is there and so forth. Or even just thinking about the person. A few thoughts could, could also be a way to do it. Just a few, you know, a thought or two about the person, what you love about the person, something like that. So, so we can use the different senses and make it very individual for what works for each of us. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, maybe last one, and then we'll we'll go to walking. Hi. Hi. You mentioned that um, it was important, or we should try to keep the same phrases yeah. for you know, each of the different categories. What was challenging for me was um, when it when I went to the benefactor was to tailor it. Yeah. Tailor the phrases to that person. Yeah. So it was hard to f- stick with the same. Yeah. I found it challenging. Uh, see if see if you can find I'm sorry, were you were you finished? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See if you can find some that are general enough. Because again uh, we distinguish a little bit between retreat and daily life. Um, you know, in retreat, we w- and, and they're related, but in this context, it's helpful to have the same phrases because it takes the thinking process out of it, and and we don't have to worry. Oh, is that working? Should I do something else? What should I do now? Or what were those four phrases for this one? <laughs> you know, and so we don't have to go there. Right, and we and so it's really the simplicity which aids with the concentration and the depth, and so it's fine to have something you could you know, if you're not sure, use one of the traditional ones, they they've been tested, <laughs> you know. So just to use those and uh, yeah, and then you know, if you find in daily life that you want to really bring in some specialized ones, it's a little bit different context there. 
But, but generally, I, I've stayed with the general ones that, it, like I've done on retreats, and it, it actually, you know, what we're looking for is really more the feeling there, and the phrases are kind of like uh, doorways in, right? And so, after when we actually are accessing the feeling, the phrases matter a little bit less, and so, so and we may we may get there pretty quickly. Okay, thanks. Good. One more time. Okay. Um, let's see. Do it different orders. Yeah, I say them every day for the last 10 years. So what are they? <laughs> so um, I often, I typically probably say first the one I mentioned last, may I rest in the awakened heart. May I rest in the awakened heart. May I be safe and free from harm. So that's traditional. And then I have a version, you know, related to health. May my body support my practice. And then may I be held by love. You could say may I be held in love. You know, so may I be held by love. And again, you can use, feel free to just take those if, if, they're, if, they're, if they resonate. So, and generally, you know, generally I stay with the same phrases for, you know, have stayed for, you know, Many years, and then, then at a certain point, I say, oh, that's that's kind of a little stale, and then I, then something else will speak to me. Okay, but here some of you are are newer, and so you can experiment a little bit, but try not to experiment too much, cause, you know, because because like I was saying in response to the last question, the phrases are means to an end, and at a certain point, if you're accessing that sense of warmth or kindness, sometimes the phrases even drop away, and you're just with that feeling, and you can. Sometimes you can get there without too much of the words. So, so we don't have to put a huge amount of emphasis on the words. They're helpful and important, but they, at a certain point, they tend to drop away when we when we get to some further depth. Okay, good. So uh, walking meditation. What we do internally is exactly the same in walking as in sitting. End of walking meditation instructions, mostly. <laughs> so, so what that means is that we actually repeat the phrases internally as we're walking. And so we have, you know, we let our eyes do as much as is necessary for navigation, which uh, doesn't need to be too much because the walking, as some of you know from having done mindfulness practice, is essentially back and forth on a path. And you can do it um, in the hall across the way. You can do it in the downstairs large hall. You can do it in the foyer. You can do it outside. It's basically walking back and forth on a path. And you can do it normal speed or you can do it a little bit more slowly. You don't have to do it real slowly like you sometimes see people doing with mindfulness practice. Because we're really just finding a pace where we can stay with the exact same process we just did. You know? And the back and forth helps rather than just walking and wandering. It helps there to be more settling and more concentration. And so you could choose a path that could be, you know, as long as the length of this room. It could be a little bit longer. And you could walk, uh, walk to one end. I like to often, when I'm at the end of the path, stop 
settle a little bit, come back to being a little more settled, and then keep going. It could be, you know, you could, it would be fine to have a path that was double, double the length of this room. If you walk back and forth, and you can do it again, probably normal speed or a little bit, little bit slower. And you, you simply uh, work with the phrases. And metta practice is remarkably, uh, mm, I don't know if easy is the word, but it's, it's remarkably uh, suitable for bringing into daily life. I have quite a few students who, especially some who are in like helping professions, I think of some who are in medical professions, like as nurses and so forth, and, you know, they're actually helping others, and they actually have metta going a good part of the day. Because what it, and, and what one can find is that you can actually do the metta practice with, after you've done it for a while, and actually be functional and do other things. You know, you can really work like that, you know. And you can experiment with that like at home, wash the dishes with metta, <laughs> and so forth. But... Uh, it's it's really interesting that these you know that these people and I, I've experienced it myself can really you know in maybe in being a nurse helping people can really come have the metta or some some sense of resting in the kind heart really be there a lot of the time over and these people have practiced for for a number of years but it's really there's a lot of potential there and so this is the training that we that we do and after these two days it'll be it'll be yours to kind of. Uh, keep going, okay? So we'll have half an hour. Yeah. Do we stay with the self of Yeah, we'll stay. For now, we'll stay just with the same process, just with one, uh, the whole time. If if you were working with self, you'll stay with self or benefactor, and then we'll we'll come back uh, and we'll go right into a sitting. So you can come back and just be silent. We'll come. I think let's um, let's do. Um, Let's do 20 minutes. So we'll come back. Uh, is someone going to ring the bell? Is someone, one of the volunteers ringing the bell? Let's ring it at 11.15 when you hear the bell, uh, five minutes till we come in. So it's, just, it's not too long from now. Okay? And, we're, and I'll, I'll be here. If anyone has a question, I'll stay here and you can come up and ask me a question if you'd like.
with our practice. And in this session, we'll start with uh, where we were in the last session. If we were starting with uh, self, we'll stay with that for maybe the first five or ten minutes. And then I'll give some guidance for us to move uh, and we'll go to the benefactor. Uh, and I'll, I'll say a few more words about that. And maybe, maybe just uh, initially let me, let me say a few more words about uh, the nature of this metta or loving kindness. Um, uh, metta is the word M-E-T-T-A. That's in the original language. And the uh, term has been translated as loving-kindness, which is a little bit weird because loving-kindness isn't really an ordinary English word. Now we have it, and kind of it's there. It was, you know, a lot of the translations of Buddha's terms were done like 100 years ago or 120 years ago by Victorian translators. (laughs) Even mindfulness, you know. Mindfulness came from, you know, like, I think an English context where they would say, you know, a parent would say, now James, be mindful and do eat your peas. <laughs> or something like that, you know. And it's, uh, anyway, it's, it has its pros and cons. But loving kindness can also be a little bit misleading because, first of all, it's not an ordinary word. And, uh, but the, and, and it suggests the, that it's similar to our, to our English word love. And it's in the same territory, but it's a little bit different. That uh, uh, metta has in the original language connotations especially of friendliness. And actually friendship, probably in most cultures other than our own, was more the center of emotional life. You know, for us it's clearly romantic love, right? That's like... You can kind of look to the music to know what's at the center of life. And, um, but in a lot of cultures, uh, friendship was actually very, very, very central, even, uh, even most important. And, and so the sense of friendliness being this key quality of the heart is, is important. That is a sense of warmth, friend, what we would call friendliness, Goodwill. I would I would think of the, a good translation of metta would be an expansive, warm friendliness that can actually get bigger. That you know that can get so big that it becomes, as is said in the Tibetan uh, versions of loving kindness, becomes immeasurable. Has this way that it almost becomes infinite or limitless and becomes this uh, quality of our being that is quite profound, very, very deep. But it, it probably is best understood as, as friendliness. Expansive, warm friendliness is a good way to think about it. Okay? So again, we move through this training where we start with, traditionally start with self, and here we started either with self or benefactor. And so we'll have another practice session. This will be a little bit longer, and we'll... Start if you started with self, 
you can start there. If you start with benefactor, you could start with benefactor. And just a few more words about the benefactor. If you, if you started with self in a moment, you can when we go to benefactor. You can see if you don't have a benefactor already, you can see who that might be. And just a few more words about it. Uh, generally, it's someone towards whom we feel a pretty ready warmth. Can be someone whom we know personally in our lives, as I mentioned, it could be a pet, could even be a tree, as I said. It can also be a public figure. Some people might have the Dalai Lama or someone dear in your life as your benefactor. Usually, and certainly traditionally, it's someone who is presently alive. So we may have a lot of benefactors who aren't alive. And there are ways that we can work with them in terms of engendering the heart, but it probably looks a little bit more like gratitude. And some of the phrases don't make so much sense, like, may you be healthy, you know, and so forth. Uh, or, I guess it depends on your belief system. <laughs> you know. um, but generally, we choose ones who are alive. It could be a public figure. It could be just someone who brings a sense of... We're looking for someone who brings an easy sense of warmth fairly quickly. Because again, we're, what we're doing initially is we're getting the loving kindness or the metta flowing as best we can. Okay? Is that the same as the dear friend? No. The benefactor is different than the dear friend. Benefactor, you know, traditionally was more like a mentor, could be an elderly relative, someone who's a little, it's a less symmetrical relationship than the dear friend. Dear friend is a little bit more like a peer. But actually, it's fine if we just choose two different beings towards whom we feel warmth. Again, the basic idea is to get the metta flowing by choosing beings. Again, it could be a child, could be someone we just, oh, you think of the person, oh, something like that. That's what we're looking for. Okay? Any more questions before we begin? Yeah. Yeah. The sky, the floor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're you actually I'll, in, after we have the sit, uh, the sitting, I'll talk a little bit about what gets in the way of metta. So that, that would be one of the ver- varieties, you know, different kinds of distraction, things calling, and so forth. But, but great to notice it. Yeah, and then... Uh, it was not letting me go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just notice it. Keep coming back. Patience, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm having trouble sticking to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what's, what, what do you think is the best way to proceed? No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, just, yeah, keep it simple. Yeah, I mean, the creativity can be beautiful, but we want to keep it simple now. So choose your favorites. You can have a very quick competition and see who the favorites are. 
and then and then just uh, yeah, and just choose, choose choose them. You can experiment a little bit, but try to try to settle pretty soon. So if you want to try out maybe one or two more, that that's okay. Okay, yeah, please. What if you're feeling the anxieties of life um, uh, interfering both in how you're physically feeling and mentally? Yeah. Um, Just know that it's normal. How many can relate to that? Okay. Yeah, just know that it's normal. It happens. You'll tend to settle down. This is, you know, again, I'll talk a little bit more later about what gets in the way. This is, it's, you know, we didn't, you know, we came from active lives. There are things happening. Some of them may be hard. And it's natural that you just, you know, the way our minds work, give it a little bit of open time and it says, okay, unresolved issue number one, let's deal with it a little bit. Unresolved issue number two, let's deal with that. It's kind of the brain or the mind is like a scanning device for unresolved issues, right? And so it's happening, but you can use your mindfulness and just notice it and then just go back to the metta, right? And and actually, if you're, if it's, this is, are you doing metta to self? Yeah, so it's actually, you can, you can actually you even use a, a, a word like, okay, just, okay, the, you know, um, you know we'll, we'll work with this when the time comes as best we can. Maybe some, even some calming words like that could be helpful. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and especially the first morning, it's natural that things would come up and we just notice them and, and come back. Yeah. Okay. We'll sit now for a little less than 20 minutes. Still staying with self, if you start with self, or benefactor if you start with self. In a little while, I'll invite us to shift.
And now shifting, if you started with self, shifting to the benefactor, metta in relation to the benefactor. If you started with benefactor, you can stay with benefactor. If you'd like to see how it is, just to take a little bit of time with metta for self, you could do that uh, just for a little while, and then if you want, then come back to benefactor. So. Moving to benefactor if you started with self and staying with it if you started with benefactor, by and large.
If there's sleepiness, it's possible to just stand up for a minute or two, stay standing up for a few minutes, sit back down. So if there's sleepiness, it can be helpful sometimes just to open the eyes for uh, 30 seconds or a minute.
the last uh, two minutes of the sitting, seeing if you can see if you can stay fully with the practice just for this two minutes. So a few words about uh, some of the challenges to this practice. And then we'll have a little chance to talk together and then give some guidance for lunch is very soon. <laughs> so, uh, so a little bit of the context. Uh, loving kindness or metta practice is part of a family that we sometimes call the family of the heart practices. And it actually goes together in the tradition with three others. Those are compassion, uh, joy, sometimes talked about as sympathetic joy. And the fourth is equanimity. And it's also related, I think, to a few other practices that we might do if we were sort of bringing out the development of the heart in, in multiple ways. Another is forgiveness, a very fundamental practice. Uh, a further one is gratitude. And then I think more of a relational practice, the practice of empathy, is also in this family of heart practices. And they're all connected. We're focusing on one of them. But in some ways, in, in the tradition, it's understood that the loving-kindness practice, in a sense, needs to be complemented 
by the other three that are in that family called the family of the divine abodes or the, uh, it's called the Brahma-vihara in the original language and it really means the, the home of Brahma. Vihara is the word for, for house or home. And it, it, we sometimes talk about it as the divine abodes or the, uh, these places where we go when the heart is very open. And uh, it's actually said that when we have highly developed loving kindness or compassion or joy or equanimity, we're living as if gods and goddesses. So, very good. And, and, uh, and those all get at certain aspects of the heart, you know, that the loving, the compassion brings that ability to be with the difficult. And it also helps prevent the loving kindness from being overly self-centered. The, the joy uh, also balances it out that one can, you know, bring out the joyful qualities and also the sense of sharing the joy of others. Again, it can help prevent the loving kindness being overly self-centered because the heart also responds to uh, the joy of others. And in fact, uh, in the tradition, it's really understood that there's one awakened heart and it has these different manifestations, that compassion is simply the same as loving kindness, but compassion arises in the presence of difficulty or pain. And it's pretty much the same heart, but it just opens up in different ways. Similarly, joy is what manifests for the kind, open heart when it encounters beauty or someone else's well-being, happiness. And then equanimity is like the rudder or the balance, the, the, the wise grandmother who has a really kind heart but has also seen everything <laughs> and can really be steady with whatever comes, can have that loving heart no matter what comes up because it's more or less familiar with everything. So that's, that's, the, that's where loving kindness finds its place, its context. And it's, um, again, developed and it's understood that there'll be certain challenges. And I thought I'd mention a few challenges and talk about how we work with them. Some of them have already been mentioned. You know, one is distraction. The mind goes elsewhere, right? We're trying, came here, we thought to develop uh, loving kindness or metta. And those other parts of our lives are jumping in without being invited. Rude. Um, and we we can get distracted and it's hard to focus on loving kindness if the mind is just going elsewhere anyone have a I think you have a a device (laughs) okay yeah yeah (laughs) it's your heart just saying Now's the time, now's the time, now's the time. Okay. So we can also clearly, another challenge, or maybe I should just say what to do with the distraction. One, one of the things that's very interesting about metta is that it actually in itself is a formal practice that develops concentration. 
And it's actually sometimes used to really develop deep concentration. And so you, you may have had a sense that we, we are basically repeating the same things over and over again. And we're also, by the fact that we're using the active mind, we're in a sense filling up the space where other things could occur. Have you noticed that some? That there are ways that as we do the metta practice, the mind settles. And it's very interesting because it's not settling in the same way that it might with mindfulness practice where we're just really trying to stay with the breath. Here we're actually using the verbal mind to guide, guide ourselves, but in a way which takes up the space, takes up the mental attention and doesn't leave room for other things to occur. And we also get really quick feedback if we're off the phrases, right? We get really, really quick feedback. We know if we're off the phrase, if we're, you know, may I, and then we go to, you know, whatever, what happened yesterday or something. We know it right away. And this is, this is a way in, 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 uh, that we, we often like to say that in a sense it can seem like loving kindness practice and mindfulness practice are different, right? But in actuality, mindfulness practice is part of what we're doing because we actually can be really aware of where the mind goes to, you know, to that anxiety or to something coming up from yesterday. And there's a way in which as uh, loving-kindness practice deepens, it really has a lot of aspects of mindfulness. We're noticing when we're distracted. We're noticing when we're off. You probably see, how many have seen something like that? You know, you can raise your hand. You've really seen how you notice and you don't have to be told, do mindfulness practice. You're just being mindful, right? There's a way in which mature loving-kindness practice has a lot of aspects of mindfulness, has a lot of mindfulness there. We notice what's occurring and we come back. And so as we stay with the practice, the concentration deepens and it can take some time, but we'll find that we're really settling and we're really staying with the metta more and more. How many have even noticed that just in the short time we've been here, that you're able to settle some, right? And, and it's that repetition of the phrases which actually helps, helps quite a bit. A second way that we can have a challenge in being with the metta is sleepiness. Again, how many have noticed some sleepiness here? Yeah, it's very natural. Sometimes it's because we haven't slept enough. And it's also because we sit quietly, we close the eyes, and there are strong associations <laughs> between that activity and a nap or actually going to sleep. And so, as I mentioned earlier, it can actually be helpful sometimes if we're feeling sleepy to stand up, to uh, open the eyes when we're sitting, in the walking meditation to walk vigorously, that can help. Because sometimes it's just getting used to the meditation Sometimes it's because we might actually have sleep needs that, are, that weren't met so well. That's, that's certainly a possibility. Sometimes it's because there's like an energetic imbalance and we have, we have less energy and sometimes even more concentration. That can lead to sleepiness. That's why it's good to do something energizing. I'll be doing qigong some in the afternoon. Again, vigorous walk if you want to have your lunch and take a walk. That will help. Have... Do what brings energy to the body. That will help, you know, especially over the two days. 
and for tonight, don't stay up too late, you know, get your rest, and so forth. Uh, and it's fine also uh, in our lunch period, you have your lunch, we have an hour, you can have your lunch, you can uh, take a nap, right? Take a half hour nap, uh, I don't know, use one of the mats, one of the pillows, and do it in here, do it in the other hall, whatever, you know, can, can do that. Another uh, challenge of staying with uh, loving-kindness practice is restlessness. Has anyone felt some restlessness at times? Again, very normal. It comes up with the meditation. Again, sometimes there's this uh, imbalance of energy and concentration the other way, where we have a lot of energy, but the mind is not so concentrated. And guess what that feels like? That feels like restlessness, like... You know, and so forth. So what to do with restlessness? Again, sometimes we can uh, stand up. Generally, we want to have, we want to build the concentration so we can give a little more energy for the phrases. We can uh, do that just with sort of settles the energy. So again, uh, you know, something maybe like yoga or qigong can be very helpful for settling, settling the energy. Another... Uh, challenge of loving-kindness practice, that's, that's a big one, actually, is that a lot of us have experiences and conditioning which covers over our hearts. And that's something which we address in a more long-term way, right? I know, like my experience growing up, I think I always knew I had a good heart and a kind of a, actually a, a sensitive heart, you know, I would cry during driver ed movies. <laughs> sometimes I mean, and and also sometimes during movies where you know other times I didn't so much. And I had you know growing up when I grew up, I had the conditioning of being like a a boy and a young man, and the emotions were not particularly supported, right? And uh, some of that's changed, but some of it hasn't changed so much, right? And so. For me, it took some time to actually access the heart in different ways as I, you know, as I became an adult. And some of us may have that conditioning. We may have you know, had difficult experiences in our life that lead us to cover over our hearts to protect ourselves. Some of us may have had trauma. Some of us may have had you know, just difficult experiences and we, we shield ourselves. And again, some of the ways we work with that are a little more long-term. You know, that you know, we can, if we've had some kind of trauma, there are ways of working with that that we've had you know, in our personal development or in, in other ways. There are ways of working with that. And there are ways of really... Uh, it's a be- actually, meditation can be a, quite a beautiful way to have sort of a protected space where we experiment in opening. It's really one of the things that happens in meditation. Then it's another thing, you know, to bring it out into the world, right? But there are ways that meditation itself creates a kind of protected environment where we can open and expand and has enough safety so that we feel okay. And we want to look for those kind of situations, other kinds of situations like that. Maybe sometimes groups or sometimes it could be uh, psychological work or work with trauma. We need to find those protected spaces 
where we can explore what's difficult and open to the beautiful spaces, right? And this is one of them. There are others, you know, and we, we may need to find other kinds of spaces like that. But that's, that's, a, that's a significant part of this opening process for all of us. And I know, you know, multiple ways of opening have been important for me and maybe, maybe, maybe in, in your, your background as well. And there is particularly a way in which I think it kind of comes with a lot of Western culture. I don't know if it's particularly culture in the U.S., but there is a way that for a lot of us, we have difficulties in having loving kindness for ourselves. You know, I know this was uh, partly the case for me. And Anyone relate to that? Okay. Yeah, and it's not everyone, but a lot of us have difficulty. And I, I thought I would uh, play a song I, I, uh, from... Uh, someone who works with me. Uh, Eve, anyone know Eve Decker? Eve is a musician, and she's also a teacher. She's going to be helping me with this retreat on the judgmental mind. And uh, Eve is a professional-level musician, and a lot of CDs. She used to be in a, a group called Rebecca Riots. Anyone know that group? Um, I think it w- they sometimes call themselves post-feminist punk or something like that. <laughs> anyway, anyway here is, this is a song that she wrote called Simple Truth, which I thought I'd play, which really brings out some of the varieties of ways that it's difficult to really care for ourselves or access that love for ourselves. It's a big, it's a big theme, a big issue, and I think she does a very nice job. This, so this... This uh, song is really about loving kindness for self. She actually teaches courses in the East Bay on loving kindness for self. Like, I think four or five week classes on that. So I thought I'd play this for you. I've 
been given a responsibility to love myself like I love trees. Okay, when branches crack and fall, no striving, no have tos at all. The sparkling green that breathes me just as I am loves me. There's a lot there, isn't there? Did you, you could hear the words pretty clearly. Yeah, there's a lot there. And uh, Eve was hoping to make it here today, but it, it didn't quite work out. So anyway, um, I, w- I wish I could sell her CDs later, but I don't, don't have them. Um, but that's, that's a big one, isn't it? And how many could resonate with one of the causes of self-judgment or self-hatred? Yeah. Um, and I just, I just thought I'd mention one further big area that makes it hard for there to be loving-kindness. And that's essentially when reactivity arises in the mind. That can arise just when we're on our own. It can array, arise interpersonally or in a group or whatever. Basically, when the mind is taken away by reacting, by could be by not liking, by judging. Reacting also could be grasping, trying to want something. You know, that these tend to close down the heart. We can get polarized. We get polarized from someone and the heart closes down. You know, we have a difficulty with someone and all of a sudden 
the empathy is not there, the heart's not there with that person. And that's a large area, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more tomorrow because, uh, again, we could do a whole two- or three-day retreat just on how do you keep the heart open with difficult circumstances. But I wanted to name that because that's a, that's a big area. Most of what we've looked at so far, except for that, are really uh, particularly related to what arises in a meditation retreat. What, a, what a, will particularly arise here. But some of that will arise, you know, maybe like, I don't know if the example you brought up earlier, I'm not, not asking you to answer, but uh, uh, about the anxiety was related to something that happened, you know, some interpersonal thing. And it's hard when there's anxiety or fear or judgment or uh, wanting or wanting something to happen. It's very hard for the heart to be open. And so some of what we practice with this is really you know, uh, as we go forth, particularly out into the world, is to find ways to have the heart be increasingly open, even in those difficult circumstances. And we'll talk more about that again, especially tomorrow. So um, we can look at all of these areas, and it's helpful to name them. Okay, there's sleepiness. Okay, there's distraction. Okay, there's self-judgment. Okay, there's restlessness and so forth. It's helpful to name those, to know that these are the uh, states of mind that get in the way of metta flowing, and they're normal for it's normal for them to occur in these two days, and it's really a matter of how do we work skillfully with them? How do we keep coming back to the metta? As I mentioned, metta, I think, like mindfulness practice as well, has these two aspects. One of them, we go towards the we might say beautiful states, the kindness, the warmth, and we touch those, and then we see what gets in the way. The training has those two dynamics. And it's common sense, right? It would almost necessarily have to. Okay? So uh, I wanted just to see if there are any questions either about anything that's come up in your practice, anything that I've said, anything about just understanding, you know, what we're doing. So can I, we'll wait for the microphone. Yeah, I noticed, and I don't know if this is what you mean by closing of the heart, but like when I focused on one benefactor, yeah, it was just free and easy. Yeah, and then there's another benefactor who I adore. Yeah, but for some reason, something yeah. went hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. For some reason, it's there. We don't necessarily know. Have to know the reason. Yeah. It's interesting, right? This is somebody I care about very much. I'm very so grateful when you care to. about for whatever reason it wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So just to notice that. You know, and probably stay with the first one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I have a couple things quickly. Uh, for, uh, with the walking meditation, it was yeah. hard for me to get into it because I'm in pain. Oh. So okay. what do you do about that? And yeah, where, where's if you can say in my legs? Okay. If I don't go to yoga and work out. Oh. I, okay. Um, yeah. It, it's it's one of the good. I'm sorry. Were you finished or? With that one, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, it's interesting about metta. It actually doesn't work so well to have some pain, unpleasant sensations in the body and do metta at the same time. So it actually means if you're sitting cross-legged and you get, you know, you reach a certain limit where you start to be some pain, feel free to shift, stand up, sit back down. We, we actually... Uh, whereas in mindfulness, there's a value sometimes in sitting and just exploring, especially if we know it's not harming the body, to notice uh, the unpleasant. That's, there's a value to that. In metta, if it tends to distract us, 
from actually doing the practice. We actually don't need to stay with that. And so whether it's the sitting, and so if uh, you, know, you can walk to the extent that there's not pain, and if there's pain with walking all or most of the time, feel free to stand. I don't know if the standing is okay. That's it, yeah. yeah, I would just work with standing, maybe a little more sitting. And the last thing is, is that I kind of had the opposite uh, experience with yeah. regard to the meta and uh, as uh, re- relative to mindfulness. When I meditate, I, I think it's the me not having to use my mind, my, the blank uh, st- you know, state that I get in that's really ha- powerful for me. Yeah. And now opening up the, the thoughts and the words seem to be blocking that. Blocking the quiet? That the feeling, that really uh, wonderful feeling you get from when you're meditating, that peacefulness. The, the peacefulness of the mind being relatively quiet. Yeah, but I have to think about, okay, I've got to say these four things instead yeah, of yeah. just blanking my mind. Right. Um, yeah, that, that will tend to be the way it feels initially. As you stay with it, it's very interesting, actually, what happens. What seems to happen is that as you stay with it, and I think there must be a, a quite uh, full explanation at the level of the brain. But what, what I think there must be a way in which it, it's a little bit like your crank, like those old style cars. You, it takes time to crank them up. Once they get cranked up, they start running on their own. And it's a little bit like that in terms of the mind. You, it'll take some time to stay with the phrases, keep them going, make sure they're there. At a certain point, and I'm not sure when that is, at a certain point, it, it tends to be going on its own. And it must be that a different part of the mind than the initial one is actually keeping it going. And then that's when you can actually start to access more that sense of peace. So it's natural that, you know, just the activity, got to do this, let's remember them, what were they? And all that, that you, you wouldn't, wouldn't have that sense of, of peace from the really relaxed mind. But it, it actually is possible, even as you're repeating the phrases. Something that really was surprising for me and interesting when I first started doing the loving-kindness practice, uh, especially when I started doing some retreats, I found I could really uh, have the, the phrases kind of go on their own and have a you know, deep sense of resting. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, just on that point, I'm curious about the timing between ver- verbalizing the phrases. Yeah. So you mentioned you know, to verbalize the phrase and then have this resonance period. A pause, yeah. Pause. Um, so, I mean, that could be any, anything from very short to actually... I would recommend for, for now, have you practiced metta a lot? No, no. It's yeah. first I day, recommend so having it be pretty short, like short. I said, like maybe two or three seconds. Oh, Just very short. Very okay. short, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you notice something comes... You know, it's not like we got need to be go looking for something or fishing for something. Just, just let there be a pause, and maybe you notice something come quickly. I mean, it can be a little bit longer, but not. We're not looking for a minute or something like that, or even half a minute. Okay. Just real, re- you know, pretty short. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed when I was doing the um, for self that with the different phrases, the emotional resonance was slightly different. Yeah. 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 That one was warm and happy, you yeah, know, and and then the safety is sweet, and, yeah, and are those sort of variations of loving kindness? I mean, the, yeah, they're they're really looking at different nuances of wishing well for ourselves in in this case, 
And yeah, it's natural that there'd be a little bit different. Some will speak to a little bit more than others. It doesn't mean we have to go looking for the utterly perfect ones that always you know, go to the highest bar. Uh, you know, I remember when I was practicing initially, for whatever reason, doing the one on safety, I couldn't wait till it came around again. <laughs> you know, the others were good, but there's something, again, something about when I got to safety, something in me would just go, yes, yes. And I, I, I was really kind of say, okay, kind of okay, let's get there, because the other ones were good, but not as not as uh, energizing, yeah. And that, that and then that changed over time, yeah. Okay. I'm just a little, um, I'm going to say confused, but could you just elaborate a little bit more of the distinction between the benefactor and dear one? It, it, yeah. It was when you put in. Um, a child or a pet, yeah. I would have thought that that would have been in the in the category yeah, good, of good, a dear one. Good question. As opposed to, yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, I, I'll give you the traditional understanding. Essentially, I, w- I was uh, um, sort of letting the boundary be less strict. So I think you're right to perceive what you were perceiving. That uh, traditionally, you know, the benefactor is a little bit more like a more senior person or a helper, might be older, you know, uh, again, could be elderly relative. You know, gen- generally, the way uh, loving-kindness practice has evolved in the West, we just look for two figures that really kind of touch the heart. And if you can have one that's a benefactor and really kind of fit that category, you know, like I do, I, I have someone who's been a mentor to me that I use. Uh, but you're right, some of the other examples I gave could have fit just as easily in the dear friend category. The dear friend, we look to be generally a little bit more like a peer. Uh, but and for both of them, we want uh, a being uh, with whom we don't have a complex relationship, with whom the feelings are almost entirely positive. You know? yeah. But I think so. it's, it's perceptive to pick up on that, because I did... I did for the sake of just trying to find things that work for people. Not everyone has a very clear benefactor. That's really the reason I, I said that. You know, some of some of you do. Some of you, ah, oh, I'm not sure I got a benefactor. You know, who would it be? You know, it could be my grandmother, but yeah, we couldn't have a complex relationship. And <laughs> so, okay, please. Um, I lost my mother about three, four weeks ago now. Oh. And I noticed that I, I decided to go ahead and use her as a benefactor. Oh, yeah. Even though she's deceased, it matches with my spiritual beliefs that that I would have certain thoughts um, of loving kindness for her. And I noticed that when you listed all the different heart, heart processes, the joy, the kindness, forgiveness, yeah. empathy, and gratitude, I kind of started moving all around all of those once I was able to have a yeah. picture of her with her siblings and her own parents and with yeah, my yeah. father. And it was really nice to just kind of move around some of those other yeah. places, not just compassion. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, there, there are a few things happening here. I mean, one is that kind of the circumstances are inviting you to bring your heart to be with your mother. And it might not look exactly like the specified training today, but I think it's really calling you right now. You know, and it's interesting. My my mother died um, just a little over a year ago, 
and I, I actually went on, you know, I had been scheduled to go on retreat. Uh, and it turned out that I actually started a four-week retreat six days after she died. That's the way it worked out. And so I went through, uh, and it also was unexpected. Yours may have been expected, I don't know. Mine, mine was somewhat, un, it was pretty unexpected. And so, you know, I went through all, you know, all these different permutations related to the grieving process. And, uh, and, you know, there wasn't, you know, there was, I just had to follow the way the energy was. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, right? I, you know, if you have a choice, you might really also see if you can keep some of your time just to stay with the metta. Have you, have you done metta training before? Yeah, I would, I would say a little bit if it, if it works. If it doesn't work, that's okay. If it works, you know, you know maybe stay a third of the time with the metta practice so you actually get the training because the other, the, the way you were going, you were describing is beautiful and I think very much a beautiful response to what's happening. But it'll, it won't let you at the end of the two days really, it'll give you a wonderful experience there. But I think we can have that occur and still have the training occur. So is that, is that resonating? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Okay. Okay. Okay, maybe last one and then we'll, then we'll go to lunch. I'm a little confused. Um, when you think of this benefactor, yeah. then the next time are you supposed to think of a different one or is it supposed to oh. represent... Uh, yeah, the, good, good question. Yeah, um, yeah we, we work with the same one. In a way, what we do through the training is that we take uh, for each of the uh, categories or we sometimes call these the metamuses. <laughs> It's a phrase from Heather Martin, who's a colleague who lives in British Columbia, that we actually choose one being for each of the categories of uh, benefactor, dear friend, neutral person, and difficult person. That sort of stands in, even if we have multiple benefactors. And we can, you know, if you have three main benefactors, you can tell your other benefactors, I'm thinking of you, but I have to follow the rules. <laughs> so we actually just choose one and then we stay with it. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, and then, you know, we'll, when we come to all beings, you can go back and, as it were, dot the I <laughs> and, and get to your other benefactors. So is that, is that clarify? Yeah. For this retreat, yeah. I, I think when you, we'll talk more about going home. Generally, it depends on the, you know, your intentions and uh, how much time you're devoting. If you, if you, uh, if you have the purpose of uh, really staying with the training, doing a fair amount of practice, working with concentration a lot, then it could make sense to stay with it. If you're going to do 10 or 15 minutes and want to just really see what's creative with the heart on a given day, then you, there can be some varying. Okay. Okay. So for um, lunch, we have uh, half an hour. And again, you can eat in here. There'll be some uh, tables, I think, uh, chairs and tables set up downstairs that you can use. Uh, you can go into the uh, hall uh, that's across the way or the one downstairs. And actually, if you want to, I, th- I 
Well, and I think I think they're actually getting things ready. I was going to say you could go to the dining hall, but I think that's probably they're getting ready for the retreat. So let's just stay here. And uh, again, if you want to, you can uh, eat for some of the time. I'm, at, I'm inviting us to eat in silence and really keep the practice going. So this actually this is what we do on retreats. So stay in silence. Of course, if there's something of a functional nature, you need to talk to Romy or talk to me, feel free to do that. Uh, but let's stay in silence and you can again, uh, if you eat, if you take half the time to eat, you can take a nap, you can take a walk, do both, uh, and so forth. And um, anyone who needs to go to the Woodacre Deli, it's just about, by car, about two or three minutes away. Did you, you needed that, did you? So you could talk to Romy, she'll give you instructions. It's just in, it's an obvious place in downtown Woodacre, which is, downtown Woodacre means like, (laughs) 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 downtown Woodacre means like uh, three or four buildings. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, So keep the practice going. And again, I would stay, you can keep some on self, some on benefactor. Uh, Again, can do it taking the walk. Uh, and keep it going, and we'll come back uh, right into a sitting at 1.30, okay? okay? So keep it going, and um, we'll see you in about an hour. And we'll have a bell rung. Who will ring the bell? Let's ring a bell at 1.20. So when you hear the bell, that means 10 minutes until the, uh, the session. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.